This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in, as always, to Green Talk Radio from GreenLivingIdeas.com. This is Sean Daly, and today we're going to be talking about radiant floors and radiant subfloors, and our guest to talk about that topic is Terry Allsberg, who is the president of Warmboard. Terry, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. So I'm familiar with radiant floors. In fact, I really wanted to do a radiant floor uh, when we did a remodel back a few years ago, and it just unfortunately wasn't in the budget for us when we did it. But uh, I had a contractor who was telling me he was extolling the virtue of uh, how wonderful they are. And so I'm curious. Now, I understand that warm board isn't quite uh, radiant floors, but rather subfloors. Can you, first of all, just tell us about maybe what a radiant floor is and then compare and contrast what you guys do versus those types of products? Well, radium floor heating is an ancient concept that was really the first form of heat. The Romans did it about 2,000 years ago. It's also been done about 2,000 years ago over in uh, Korea. And uh, the, the whole idea is that uh, you could either have a wall radiator, which is a relatively small radiating surface, which gets quite hot and it transfers enough heat to your room, or you could make the entire floor of your house a radiator, in which case it doesn't need to get very hot at all. It's a very mild temperature, typically about... Well, between 75 and 85 degrees is the typical temperature range that they run in. And uh, just the sheer amount of surface area, even though the temperatures are quite moderate, is enough to fully warm your house. So a radiant floor system is really any system where the top surface of your floor gets to a high enough temperature to transfer enough heat to your home to overcome the heat loss of your home. Okay, so the idea is distributing a lower temperature heat throughout in the floor uh, as, as opposed to having sort of a hot spot in one place. Exactly, and that very mild, very ubiquitous, very even heat is very, very comfortable. And that's you know, uh, typically one of the biggest reasons why people buy radiant heat is for superior comfort. And I can tell you that in my house, sometimes people re- uh, remark when they come into it, they're surprised that the floors aren't hot because when they hear radiant heat, they think, oh, I'll be able to tell that it's very warm. Uh, they'll take their shoes off and you walk around on the floor and you really don't notice much of anything. I often tell people the most remarkable thing about a radiant floor system is nothing. Uh, it's never too hot. It's never too cold. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You walk around feeling comfortable all the time. You're not sure exactly why that happened. So now you've mentioned the comfort benefits. Can you talk to us about, in terms of green living uh, and green building, why this would be a good choice? Well, the uh, comfort is part of the, the green building, too, but uh, uh, because comfort kind of relates to health. I mean, if you're in a peaceful, calm environment, that can be healthy for you, and that's part of green building as well. But in terms of just strict energy efficiency, uh, people think in terms of they, they've heard the saying, heat rises. Well, that's not strictly true. Hot air rises. But radiant heat is essentially a form of light. It's not unlike infrared or like the light you feel from the sun, and the sun can be above you and shine down on you, or you're below it, and you feel quite warm. So radiant is really that kind of a heat transfer. When you have a four-star heat at home, you'll have typically four registers, and air will come out of those registers at about 120 to 140 degrees. 
Now, that's hot air, and it will rise, and it will rise very, very quickly to the ceiling. And uh, for any of you people who have been, you know, like up skiing in maybe a three-story condo, and I've been in that condition before, where everybody up on the third story is taking a sauna, and everybody <laughs> down on the, uh, the bottom floor is putting an extra comforter on the bed, right. you understand how much stratification tends to happen in a forest or a heated home. So it's not uncommon for, let's say, its seating height to be approximately 68 degrees, have your floor temperature be maybe 66 degrees. This is, would be a forced air heated home. And then the ceiling would be 76 degrees. And the spiders are nice and comfortable up on the ceiling, but your kids crawling around the floor are a little bit on the cold side. When you do a radiant system, that curve will typically go upside down. You'll have, let's say, maybe a 76-degree floor, maybe 68 degrees at seating height, and the ceiling might be 66 degrees. Now, this is what affects one of the biggest factors affecting energy efficiency is what drives heat loss in a house is what's called delta T, which means the difference in temperature between two things. Uh, if your ceiling is hot and your roof is cold, air, heat is going to flow out from your ceiling through your roof into you know, outer space and wherever it goes, and you'll have heat loss. So if, let's say, for example, you had a 36-degree roof and a 76-degree ceiling in your house, that's a 40-degree delta T. Keep that number in mind. Okay. 40 degrees is the difference in temperature. That's going to drive heat loss proportionate to that temperature difference. If conversely, for example, you had a radiant heated home and you lower that ceiling temperature down to 66 degrees from 76 degrees, your delta T now is 30 degrees. 30 degrees is 25% lower than 40 degrees. And straight thermodynamics will tell you that you will have 25% less heat loss. That's a big number. That's a huge number. So that's how one of the biggest factors that causes radiant heat to be more energy efficient. Less stratification means less um, warm ceilings and therefore less delta T and therefore less heat loss. Okay. So now what I'm curious about, uh, thank you for that explanation because uh, I've been curious about that. I I'm wondering why not or what is the difference between doing it as the standard radiant flooring solutions that are out there, um, which is I understand pretty much running these tubing, the tubing underneath the floor uh, or within the floor construct uh, that runs warm water through it. Is that correct? Well, basically, radiant heat in the past is, let's divide it up into a couple of segments. Okay. There's basically slab-on-grade radiant, and then there's frame-floor radiant. About half of all radiant is done in slabs. So let's leave that aside now, because now we're talking about frame floors. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you have a wood frame floor, you have floor joists, and you have subfloor on top of the floor joists. Uh, the, basically, the two ways it's historically been done is either, as you suggested, you can staple the tubing underneath the subfloor between your joists, and then that heat needs to transfer itself from the tubing to the air in the joist area, then from the air through to the bottom side of the subfloor. Mm -hmm. Then it needs to transfer through that subfloor, and then through your finished floor goods could be carpet or hardwood or tile and eventually into your conditioned space. That's a lot of transferring. It's a very tortuous path for the heat to follow. And everything is trying to flow through. We call that conduction, by the way. The flow of heat through a material is called conduction. And so all the materials that it's conducting through are very poor conductors. Wood is a poor conductor. Air is a horrible conductor. And so that means that in order to overcome that resistance of all the, these poor conductors, you need to raise your water temperature up. As you raise your water temperature up higher and higher and higher, it's more expensive to heat your water. Mm -hmm. It's always less expensive to heat water to a lower temperature than to a higher temperature. 
And there's a rule of thumb that mechanical engineers use in determining energy savings. And they say for every three degrees that you lower your water supply temperature into a radiant system, you will save 1% of your energy cost. So, for example, if you were to compare two radiant systems, one that used 130-degree water and one that used 100-degree water, the one that used 100-degree water would have a uh, 10% uh, uh, energy savings. That's on top of the already radiant advantage. So uh, it's of a great advantage to have a lower temperature system and the staple-up systems, which is what we generically call those systems where you staple tubing to the bottom side of the subfloor, are the least efficient of all radiant systems. Okay. Then an alternative to that is what we call a staple-down system or a thin slab system. That's where you go on top of the subfloor. You staple tubing to the top of the subfloor. Then you pour about an inch and a half thick uh, uh, slab out of some cementitious material. It could could be uh, gypsum concrete. It could be be, um, lightweight concrete. It could be regular Portland cement concrete. Now, concrete's a better conductor than wood, but it's still not a very good conductor. There's a reason why we make frying pans out of aluminum and not concrete. (laughs) <laughs> concrete just, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the scale of conduction versus, you know, being a, being a conductor or a resistor. Mm-hmm. So um, those systems do run on lower water temperatures, however, than a staple-up system. Just to give you some rough estimates, let's say if a staple-up system runs at about 160 degrees supply of water temperature, the uh, slab system may come down to 130 degrees. That would save you about 10% over the, the staple-up system. Warmboard is a unique system in that we are neither something you do underneath the subfloor nor something you do on top of the subfloor. We are the subfloor, and it's the essence of my patent, and it's what makes Warmboard, like I say, unique in the uh, marketplace. And what Warmboard is, is it's a four-byte sheet of structural subfloor plywood, inch and an eight thick, particularly thick plywood. We've routed a pattern of grooves in the top surface of the board. We've stamped a thick sheet of aluminum to match that groove pattern then we bond it to the plywood permanently. And when you frame your house, instead of nailing down ordinary structural subfloors you would typically see in construction being nailed to joists, you nail warm board down instead. Now there's four kinds of sheets. There's three kinds of turn sheets and one straight sheet. Whenever you have a radiant system, you have serpentine patterns of tubes in your floors. And if it's a staple-up system, the serpentine pattern goes up and down joist base. If it's a staple-down system, somebody comes in and snaps a bunch of chalk lines and measures out a lot of little tubing spacing issues and makes a serpentine pattern inside your rooms before they pour the, the concrete on top of it. But with warm board, the grooves are in the board itself. So when you nail down the, the panels in a certain order that our design department does for you, when the panels are, are nailed down, not only have you accomplished the installation of your subfloor for essentially no extra money than it costs to nail down subfloor, installed your radiant panel you've also accomplished the layout of your tubing because the tubing layout is in the panel. And then you press a tube down into that groove, which puts the tube into contact with the aluminum, which is highly conductive and has very, very good contact area with that tube, a very essential part of Warmboard's performance. And now you have serpentine patterns of tubes going back and forth in these grooves in your aluminum-faced plywood subfloor, and you can frame your house on top of it as you would in ordinary construction. The advantage of this is that because aluminum is so much more conductive than gypsum concrete, it's 380 times more conductive than gypsum concrete. Wow. It's not like 3% better, right. 10% better. It's 380 times better. And, uh, again, like I said, that's a re- there's a reason why they make frying pans of aluminum and not concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and plus you don't want your frying pan to uh, break on you, too. Snap exactly. Into it. 
And what that does is that allows, because it, its conductivity is so high, it allows us to lower the water temperatures still further. So, again, by analogy, and these aren't hard numbers, but if a staple-up system would maybe take 160-degree water, if a slab system might take 130-degree water, warm board systems typically operate on about 100-degree water. Now, this has a lot of other green advantages to it, too, besides just the straight fuel cost savings. Although, like I say, by comparison to a staple, that might be 20% more efficient, but compared to a slab system, perhaps 10% more efficient. But um, there's other advantages of it. Lower water temperatures allow you to use a lot of the really creative and innovative new water heating technologies. People often ask us, how do you heat the water for Warmboard? And we tell them we're not in the water heating business. We're in the water cooling business, which is kind of my wry way of explaining the physics to them. What happens is you send hot water out to the floor. The floor extracts heat from that water and sends it back to the boiler a little bit cooler. Hmm. And then it's reheated. Now, you don't necessarily need a boiler. You can also use, for example, solar panels. Right. Now, solar panels work fine. The only problem with them is that you don't get the, the sun all day long. And typically what you're going to do with your uh, solar panels is you're going to make hot water maybe a third to a half a day. And you're going to store it in a tank. And um, as it sits in that tank, it's going to go, come down in temperature because it's going to lose some of its heat. And so its average temperature over the day may not be all that high, maybe 120 degrees or so. And so you want a system that operates comfortably at under that temperature, and Warmboard does. Um, it's one of the reasons why in the recent solar decathlon, which was held back in um, Washington, D.C., and to explain, I don't, have you ever explained to your uh, listeners what the wa- solar decathlon is about? No, I don't think we've discussed that before, so please go right ahead. It's a competition that's run by the Department of Energy. Major universities enter it. The idea is to make uh, ultra-high efficiency, off-the-grid, solar-powered homes. And we're just one component in that. I mean, we're not the, the, the single biggest thing in any of these homes. They have lots of photovoltaic and other solar features that they're doing in it, but certainly they heat their water by solar. And in the last competition, the, uh, the previous two times that they ran the competition was won by the University of Colorado, and they used warm board. And this last time they ran the competition, five universities of the 20 that went to the competition used warm board. And uh, so we're getting quite a reputation amongst the uh, the people who are really trying to drive high-efficiency homes uh, as the go-to radiant solution because we use low-temperature water. Right. Now, this is not only useful for solar. It's also useful for other innovative technologies like ground-source heat pumps. And I'm, I'm sure you've ever explained to your listeners what a ground-source heat pump is. Please go right ahead. Uh, essentially, think of an air conditioner run backwards. If you put an air conditioner in your window, it would blow cold air in, and on the outside of your house, it's blowing hot air out the other side because it's pumping heat out of your house. Well, you could take that same uh, air conditioner, reverse it in your window, and in the winter, it would blow hot air into your house and would uh, take the cold air that's outside the house and make it even colder still, extracting heat from it. Well, they use that same principle of pumping heat around to pump heat out of the ground. Now, there's heat constantly coming up from the core of the Earth. It's an almost limitless supply of energy. And what they do is they dig trenches or typically dig vertical wells uh, on your property and put X number of 100 feet of tubing down into these wells or trenches and put them in contact with the ground. And it works like this. Water comes out of the ground at about 55 degrees. So you'll pump water out of the ground at about 55 degrees. It'll go to your heat pump, which will then chill it down to, let's say, 35 degrees in the process of which it extracted heat from that water. It sends that 35-degree water back to the ground, which is now in contact through these long trenches or these deep wells with the ground and sufficiently to pick up more heat from the, the earth again. 
and it rises back up in temperature to 55 degrees. It goes back into your house, they pump it back down to 35, and you have this continuous loop. And it's a very energy-efficient way to heat a home because the electricity that you use to run the heat pump is a tiny fraction of what is needed to get the heat out of the ground. So the BTUs of heat that's generated is very, very efficiently generated. And uh, you'll find that ground source heat pumps will have lower energy costs typically than natural gas. And especially for people who live in rural areas where they don't have natural gas, it is almost always the most energy efficient way to run a house. Fascinating. That's good information. The only problem with ground source heat pumps is because of the nature of their thermodynamics, they have difficulty making water much above about 110 to 115 degrees. And they're not their most efficient at that temperature. They really hit their sweet spot of efficiency, making maybe 100 degree water. And unfortunately, most heating systems won't run off of 100 degree water, but warm board does. It's in fact a rare warm board system that operates above 110. So, Terry, I have a question just going back to the energy efficiency aspects, and this is a question that always comes up in people's minds with products like this, which I certainly appreciate the uh, the energy efficiency savings and the comfort and everything. And, you know, obviously the question comes up of price and return on investment for some people. Some people are hardcore sustainability and green no matter what. If they've got the budget, other people, you know, a little bit more down on earth, you know, have to uh, have also balance in costs and potential returns. Can you speak to that at all as far as expected on an average project if even such a thing exists? Well, there's, there's two motivations for, for using these kinds of technologies. One is just pure dollar savings. And the other thing is to you know, have a smaller carbon footprint or a smaller impact on the planet. And sometimes people will pay a premium for that. I'll give you an example. I just saw a table recently where they analyzed the Prius, which is a very, very popular car. It turns out the extra cost of buying a Prius, it takes, at the extra cost of buying a Prius, it takes about 17.8 years at normal mileage that people put on their car before the additional capital cost of a Prius pays you back in the gasoline that you save. That's kind of a shocking thing for people because most people are not going to own the Prius for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And that means that the Prius is more expensive to use than uh, less energy efficient cars. And um, so if you're just going to do it for a strict cost basis, it doesn't make any sense to drive one of those cars. Okay. Well, then that's good to know that it's in that category because that doesn't exclude it from uh, uh, mainstream use. But there are different categories of products. Some have the luxury of having a five-year payback or 10-year payback. So it's always good to know know, where that line exists. And and as long as you ask, the payback in radiant heat is typically in the 15 to 20-year range. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, ground source heat pumps are another one of those technologies. They kind of we don't we're not in that business, but we work with those those uh, people, and they're a similar kind of a payback. The nice thing about a house is it lasts a lot longer than a Prius. So if you do make this investment and you think about the long term, and I like to think that a home should last you know 100 years or more, mm-hmm. then it makes a lot more sense to use these technologies in homes because you will live in them long enough. So you actually do cross over both you know, operating costs versus capital costs, plus every year that you're living in that house, you're making a smaller impact on the planet. And it increases the resale value of the house to be able to say it has that type of technology in it. And the other thing, too, is remember, that's not the only benefit. I mean, a Prius goes back and forth to the supermarket almost, almost identically in speed to a Toyota Corolla, and it's going to behave just about the same, whereas when you live in radiant home, that's why we go back to the comfort factor, mm-hmm. because usually people don't buy radiant heat for one single reason. 
they, they say, well, we want the comfort, but it's also energy efficient, or we want the energy efficiency, we can't quite justify the cost, but we'll buy it because the comfort, well, that's another add-on factor that justifies it to us. That's right, and those are real tangible benefits. It just depends on the person and what they're valuing, but uh, it's certainly nice to have you know multiple benefits existing with a product like that in a technology. Well, and there's a third category of benefits that's very commonly uh, cited for um, using radiant, and that's health benefits. And actually, that was one of the things that got me into the industries. I had two children with asthma. And uh, before I put uh, radiant heat in my home, my son used to use his inhaler a couple of times a day. Uh, now, he was likely going to grow out of it anyhow. He had what's kind of called childhood asthma, which is uh, as their lungs get bigger, they usually the impact lessens on them. But regardless, when we started using radiant heat, it was almost like he could throw away his crutches and walk. It was literally that sort of a thing. Uh, radiant heat does not uh, aerosol dust around in your house as much. Have you ever seen these commercials for people who will vacuum out your um, floor ducts in your house? Mm-hmm. You see all the, the stuff that ends up down on them and, you know, insect uh, fragments and yeah. mold spores and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. All these are allergens. So for another big reason why people buy radiant is because the air is very still, it tends to settle out. You vacuum up your dust, it leaves your house, it doesn't come back. And so it's a far more healthy environment. Yeah, the healthy home factor is what I call that. And that's part of green living, too. It is. And, and, and when you put those three things together, you say, gee, you know, I'll get a payback in maybe 17, 18 years. Uh, under ordinary circumstances, maybe that's not a fast enough payback for me. But when I throw in the comfort factors and the health factors, yeah, it's worth it. Well, I, when we talk about green and we talk about what, what that means, I mean, you're talking about health of the environment, and that can't exclude the health of your own family. So anything, I think you'd be quite frankly silly to do something that's detrimental to your family that was good for the environment. I think that's kind of semi-suicidal. So Exactly. Yeah, it does all go together. Well, we have time for just one more question, and I wanted to ask about if somebody's interested in this type of uh, technology, this type of product, they want to install it, can you just go up to any sort of Joe builder or remodeler to get this done? Do, do they have to work with only particular builders or remodelers? How does that work on the installation? Well, we like to think that that's one of the other great advantages of the warm board, and it was certainly one of my departures when I invented it, is that I wasn't in the radiant business. I've been in building for 40 years now. And I'm an architect, and I've been around construction forever, and I know how efficient homes are built, and they're built by what we call Western platform frame construction. I want to, when we get into what that term really means, aside from the fact that it's conventional construction, where plywood is an important part of building your home. And what we tell people about warm board, when they ask, well, who knows how to install it, we say, any carpenter that's got a set of bags, a nail gun, and a skill saw already knows how to install it because it's just structural subfloor. Okay. And because the tube and layouts are done for you in the panel, a lot of times you can get your regular journeyman plumber to put it in. You don't need a radiant specialist. Uh, in fact, in my own house, I just had a regular journeyman plumber put it in. He had never done a radiant system before, but he'd done baseboard heating before. He says, how much different can it be? And it turned out it wasn't. So you don't necessarily need a high-end, high-priced specialist to do warmboard systems because they're very consistent with ordinary conventional construction. And even to the point of using floor coverings on top of them, certain of the no-nos in radiant heat have been don't use hardwood and don't use uh, carpet. They keep pushing people in the direction of tile. But with warmboard, because it is a wood subfloor, you can nail hardwood directly to it. Many of our people select warmboard simply because it's so easy to put uh, hardwood on top of and a lot of people pick warm board because the efficiencies are so high, it can overcome the slight inefficiencies of a carpet floor covering and, uh, and so the pickets that they can use carpet.
I see. So it ameliorates those other issues with the exactly. flooring types. Interesting. Um, and I guess one of the question is just with regards to anybody who is talking to their journeyman carpenter or their builder, whoever it might be, um, what kind of support services are you guys offering to those folks to walk them through the process if they need help? Well, because we are the structural subfloor and because these panels need to be put down in a certain pattern and are by carpenters who are not hydronic specialists, we have always supplied complete design services included in the price of the product. So we custom design every system, count every panel that you need, send you every of the particular four kinds of panels, send you a package that's predetermined to be exactly right for your house. And um, uh, the documentation is so good that we routinely send it out to uh, carpenters and plumbers who have never done radiant before and have no problem following our designs. Plus, we have tremendous uh, 800 support line and technical services. And when you call Warmborg, you always get a human being on the phone. You don't get put into a voice queue. You get somebody who's actually technically competent. And we pride ourselves on uh, being the, the kind of company that's a pleasure to do business with. Yeah. Well, congratulations, first of all, on the uh, discovery and development of the technology and certainly getting the patents on it. And uh, we wish you much luck in the future with uh, the company and the products. Uh, my guest today has been Terry Allsberg, who is the president of Warmborg, which you can find online at www.warmboard.com. Terry, thanks again for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.